Hello, my rebels. I had a fun back and forth on Twitter with a bona fide liberal media party reporter from Global News. I had fun, but more importantly, I thought it was really revealing a, a little bit of a peek into the mind of a mainstream journalist and how they think they fit into the world, what they think their role is with regards to the opposition, with regards to Trudeau. I really, I really thought it was illuminating. I'll take you through the tweets and I'll show you a few video clips too. Um, before I do, let me invite you to become a member of Rebel News Plus. It's eight bucks a month or 80 bucks if you buy the whole year in advance, by the way. And for that, you get my nightly show in video form, plus four other shows a week. That's 36 shows a month for eight smackers. And it helps us keep going because we don't take any money from Trudeau. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, a conversation with a media party insider. It's quite revealing. It's June 2nd, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I saw the most astonishing comment the other day coming from a charter member of the media party. It truly was a work of art. I think it should be in a museum of some sort. It just captures the essence of the sneering media elites and, the, and how they see themselves versus how the rest of us see them. It's on Twitter. So it was meant as a sort of sneer, a kind of virtue signal, as most tweets are, a sign of status. It was a journalist who was replying to Pierre Polyev. Here, here's what Polyev said in the first place. He said, I go around liberal media and speak directly to Canadians. That's how I won seven elections in an urban Ontario riding. Our message of affordability and freedom is resonating with people and will unite our country and defeat Trudeau. Now, if you know Pierre Polyev, you know that that's actually true. He does lots of viral videos on YouTube and Twitter and, and Facebook. Here's an example. What's this thing really worth? I mean, it says 25 cents on it. But what is the intrinsic value of this quarter? They're fun. They're catchy. He has a good voice. He's got a bit of a dramatic flair. Uh, they're smart. I, I checked his YouTube page and it uh, says that uh, on that platform alone, he's had 42 million views. That is a lot. Uh, so he's right. He does go direct to the people. And it's often brainy videos, long videos, not just little short sound bites. By smart, I mean videos like this one. This is a 10-minute speech on the history of money. Take a listen for one minute. Money, of course, is merely a technology by which we transport value over time and space. And without it, our species would have to consume in the present everything that it produces. Uh, most species do. They have to eat what they kill right away, lest it be stolen or spoiled. Uh, sure, squirrels can squirrel away a little bit 
uh, a good habit the government should learn from, but <laughs> most species have to use it or lose it. We developed a technology that would allow two people who were exchanging things uh, to go ahead with their exchange even if each did not have the ability to supply the other with something that the other wanted. They could simply use this technology called money in order to transport the value between each other across time and around different geographies. I thought that was interesting. I watched more than just that minute. You can find it easily. It's a very interesting speech on money as a technology. I never thought of it that way. How money has changed over time and how we should protect money from being devalued. I enjoyed the speech. I saw it actually because it was tweeted by Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter. Jack's pretty smart. He's in, interested in finances and, and he retweeted Pierre Polyev. So yeah, it's true. Pierre Polyev goes around the media. Partly because you know there's not one in a hundred journalists in Ottawa who understand money or monetary policy or inflation or the devaluation of a currency or anything smart like that. I mean, come on. I mean, you, you've got the left-wing bias to deal with, sure, but I think bigger than that sometimes is ignorance. Out of the hundreds of journalists that cover Parliament Hill, how many do you think truly understand economics more than just like a first-year college student mumbling about Karl Marx or how, well, real socialism just hasn't been tried yet? So good for Polyev. And by the way, here's the short video that was attached to his tweet uh, just for context. I'm undefeated in seven consecutive elections in a big Ontario multicultural city. That's because I don't try to go through the liberal media to get my message out. I'll go around them. I deliver my message to millions of people through social media that we're seeing in the tens of thousands who've been coming out to my rallies, people who have never voted conservative before in their lives. Secondly, I win because I campaign on our strengths. And our biggest strength right now is that we are the low-tax, low-inflation party that will make your dollar go far, far enough to buy a home, afford groceries, and fuel up your car. That's why it's important that we have a leader with an impeccable track record on taxes and the cost of living. We can't elect someone who has a record of raising taxes. I've been cutting taxes, fighting inflation, and making the, empowering the working class my entire life, and we'll win an election with that message. Thank you. So that's a campaign ad, really. As you know, he's running for the Conservative Party of Canada leader. His comment about not raising taxes, I think that was a bit of a jab at Jean Charest and Patrick Brown, both of whom are happy carbon taxers. But Rachel Gilmore, a journalist with Global News, seemed to take it a little bit personally when he said go around the media. She replied on behalf of her team, it, it felt like her team being the media. She said, never let any politician tell you that going around the media as a whole allows them to speak more clearly to you. It allows them to speak unchallenged, not the same thing. Hang on, hang on. Now, she, she doesn't appear to like the fact that Polyev wants to talk to people directly. She says it makes it less clear or something. She, she, she says it's not true that it's more clear. How is that possible? I mean, how, how does that even work as an idea? If you hear directly from anyone, a politician, how could their message be unclear or at least less clear 
than if you had a, a, a media filter, a, a middleman. That's, that's literally what the word media means. It's the plural of the word medium, which, which is Latin for middle. It, it's, it is a Latin word, in fact. How can hearing someone directly be less clear than hearing from them via a middleman? Now, a politician might lie, he might deceive, he might need to be rebutted or corrected. That's all true. But then say that, because that's what Rachel Gilmore actually meant. She didn't mean that she was capable of or even interested in reporting what Polyev said even more clearly than how Polyev said it. Polyev's a clear speaker. Uh, what she meant was she really needs to be there in her mind to help you interpret Polyev. There's not, not nothing with him being unclear. It's she has to be there to correct Polyev, to rebut him, to challenge him for you. She used that word because apparently you can't do that for yourself. You'll be helpless without her deep wisdom. And of course you can trust her. I mean, she's not going to add in her own agenda. But I immediately thought Pierre Polyev has a good-sized platform on social media. He has 380,000 followers on Twitter alone, for example. That's about the same size as Rebel News has. Uh, but Trudeau has more than 6 million followers on, on Twitter. And Trudeau is a master of photo ops and video ops and social media statements. He very rarely has genuine, in-person, extended, unscripted press conferences where reporters can ask him questions at length and follow up. And even on those rare occasions where he does do those, he strictly limits which reporters are even allowed in. I mean, he had police frog march our former reporter, Kean Bexty, out of a press conference just because he didn't like the look of him. Sorry? I'm going to ask you to review your pictures right now. You want to review my pictures? If you don't show me, I'm going to ask you to escort you out. I'm not showing you my pictures, man. Okay. This is in Hong Kong. Okay, let's go. You're not, you're not welcome on this site. I'm actually, you I can't am. Charles, let me in. No, I'm telling you, being in charge of the site, you're not welcome, okay? I'm going to ask you to leave or we'll be escorting out. I'm, yeah, I, I don't have an intention to leave. I want to ask you a car here? questions. Sorry, what? Do you, have a, uh, yeah. Do you have a car here or did you walk in? I walked in. Okay, let's go. Are you going to arrest me? I'm going to escort you out. So he's not arresting me. Okay, let's go. Don't touch me. I will. This is Ottawa, Canada, 2020, when Justin Trudeau is having his RCMP throw out a journalist for no reason, because I wouldn't show him my phone. Trudeau literally had his bodyguards beat up David Menzies just on sight. I'm on a side. What is this? I'm on a sidewalk. I am on a side. What is this? You cannot touch me. No rushing order. Hey. We're suing the police for that, by the way. Has Rachel Gilmore ever said the same thing to Trudeau or the liberals? That she has to be there to make it clearer and to challenge them? Now, I haven't seen her say that. I mean, I don't follow her closely. She doesn't seem to like Pierre Polio. And I don't think she brings clarity or even facts to bear. Uh, she, she's just a partisan as most of the media party are. Here's just an example from um, about a year ago. 
year and a half ago, Polyev had tweeted, stop the Great Reset. And Gilmore wrote, huh, the Great Reset, the language a Tory MP is using here is a debunked conspiracy theory. The conspiracy alleges that a cabal of elites has long planned for the pandemic so that they could use it to impose their global economic control on the masses. Okay, yeah, it's it's not a conspiracy though, Rachel. It's it's literally the name of the World Economic Forum's project to use the pandemic to reshape the world. That that's what they say. Uh, this is the World Economic Forum website I am showing you right now. And in in case you think it's just like one web page, here is the best-selling book written by Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum called the Great Reset, and it's about COVID-19 and using it to reset the world. I mean, here is Justin Trudeau literally using those words. And I know that this is a video from Gilmore's own TV station, Global News. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. So I'm not sure if we're actually getting more clarity from Gilmore on either the Great Reset or what it means or who said it. We're getting an attempted rebuttal to Polyev, which is odd. Normally, journalists hold powerful people to account. And no one is more powerful than a sitting prime minister. And Justin Trudeau has very authoritarian. It's weird that a journalist would put so much effort into holding the opposition to account. I mean, sure, they're politicians too. And they could be government. So sure, ask them questions. But when was the last time you saw Gilmore spar with Trudeau in that same way, essentially calling him a liar? Have you ever seen him? So I tweeted uh, just out of the blue. I don't know. I was just scrolling on my phone. And I said, real question, when was the last time the media party challenged Justin Trudeau? Just, it's a real question. And she said, back to me, Ezra, you unblocked me for this? To do a lame media party jab? Come on now. <laughs> okay. Now, she does work for Global News. I, I, I can use another word if you want. I could say legacy media, corporate media, liberal media, whatever. But, but my question stands unanswered. I said, can you think of a time in the past seven years that the legacy media, corporate media, whatever, truly challenged Trudeau? I can think of a couple. When Jody Wilson-Raybould was fired by Trudeau, remember, she was trying to stop Trudeau and the crooked Gerald Butts from corrupting a criminal trial to get their friends at SNC-Lavalin out of trouble for, for fraud. Um, so the media were actually mad at Trudeau for a few months over that. That's true. The Globe and Mail. Um, maybe the Kielberger scandal, remember them? That's that corrupt we charity. But not even really. They were really mad at the Kielbergers. They grilled the Kielbergers. And the finance minister was the fall guy for that. I don't know if you remember Bill Morneau, because he took like some free trip from them or something. Uh, Trudeau's own family was enormously enriched by that fake charity. I think his mom and his brother, or I forget, his wife, they, they, the whole family was in for six figures. They never gave the money back, and they weren't fired for that. Um, they didn't pay a price. It's always someone else who pays a price for Trudeau's wrongdoing. I mean, 
you could say blackface, but I, I don't think so. It was forgotten in about 24 hours. The media still reports with a straight face when Trudeau rails against racism. In fact, it was pre-forgotten, as you know. All the Canadian media really had those photos and videos of Trudeau in blackface. They sat on them. It took an American media company to break the silence in the election. I mean, Rachel Gilmore works for Global News. This is how Global News challenges Justin Trudeau. So I guess the first thing I should ask you is, are you feeling lucky? I mean, <laughs> the entire country wants to know. What shampoo do you use? <laughs> what a disappointing answer this is going to be. Whatever happens to be hanging around at the time. Anyways, Rachel Gilmore was enjoying the banter with me, I guess, but she still didn't answer my question. Uh, she wrote back to me, Cute that Ezra unblocked me after months so he could fire out this absolutely scorching roast. Hi, Ezra. Missed you. <laughs> I wrote back, look, it's not a roast. I really do want to know when you believe you've challenged Trudeau. Now, normally media party types don't, don't talk to me at all, really. I mean, why would they? It's like cats and dogs. Um, they work for a Trudeau-aligned, Trudeau-regulated, Trudeau-sponsored media outlet. And I work for an independent media outlet. Uh, doesn't take a dime from any government. I suppose both companies could look the same on the face of them. We both have news websites, but we couldn't be more different in purpose, culturally. They're the insiders. They're part of the team. The cool kids were the outsiders. We don't really mix with them, but I don't know. She was bored or maybe she was trying to get more Twitter followers from engaging with me because I have 20 times the following as she does. So so she kept at it, which, again, a little bit of a surprise to me. She said, oh, sorry, am I the media party? I didn't realize you were referring to me. Feel free to watch Global News any night or read our website any day to see us hold powerful people accountable. Uh, because when we call uh, into press conferences, she says, we don't just ask about ourselves. Well, we, we, that's the thing. We, um, we're not allowed to call into press conferences. They, they ban us. When we do actually get involved in press conferences, and we do outside the federal government, we're not allowed in any federal government press call, uh, conference. We do ask, I think, great questions, often the only real question of just, Quick example comes to mind. It was just a few weeks ago when we were at the Conservative Party of Canada's leadership debate in Edmonton about a month ago. We asked all sorts of questions, everything from gun control to about Israel. So I think we asked about Huawei and carbon taxes, a question about environmental technology from Tamara Ugolini. I heard the media party question to every candidate. It was really weird. They asked the same question to every candidate in French, of course, um, how can you win if you don't support the UN position on global warming? That's the only thing they asked, I swear. That's the only thing they asked. Um, it's true we often talk about being banned from press conferences when we're banned from press conferences because we don't believe that it's the government's right to ban journalists from press conferences. We think it's a violation of our civil liberties. And by the way, two federal court judges have agreed with us back-to-back. Uh, -back. So I think a real journalist who cared about freedom would say there's a problem with us being censored. A government-aligned journalist is glad that the riffraff is kept out and sort of laughs at us. 
oh, you guys keep complaining that your rights are violated. Yeah. Um, it's a class thing, a little bit. Uh, it's a snob thing. It's a club thing. Uh, I was having fun, though. I mean, when do I get to debate left-wing journalists? They normally don't talk to me, so I wrote. Um, I really want you to answer my question with more than just insults. On what issue have you challenged Trudeau? You've replied again and again without answering. How can I ask this any more sincerely? And uh, I said, if someone were to ask me, how have you challenged conservative politicians? I'd have lots of specific examples, especially for Doug Ford and Jason Kenney. If you can't name an example of how you've challenged a sitting prime minister, you just might not be a real journalist. I mean, seriously. If you've asked me how I've challenged Jason Kenney or Doug Ford, my answer would be 20 minutes long. What am I saying? It would be an hour long. Um, and it would be immediate. I, I wouldn't have to stop and really think long and hard to think of an example of it. Uh, she just wouldn't answer. I don't know. I mean, it was getting boring. She said, Ezra, I gave you examples. And you immediately stopped responding when it doesn't suit your narrative. But yes, I'm the one who might not be a real journalist, according to your implication. What, what examples? Now, she finally did give me some examples. She said, this took me seconds. Not sure why I need to validate my work to people who clearly have no interest in actually reading it, though. Uh, you can see the tweet uh, to a few stories. You see there's a few links there. And you see the, the top of an image there. That's this one here. It's, a, it's an interesting subject. I care about this subject. The headline in her story is the government is still months away from introducing its promised online harms legislation after missing its self-imposed 100-day deadline in early February. Okay, got it. Um, so I replied, you're standing up to Trudeau by demanding that he bring in his censorship law sooner? Wow, you sure speak truth to power. <laughs> I guess she finally figured out that she had to come up with something. Uh, so she wrote this. For the record, in recent months, I've covered C-18, promises missing from the budget, residential schools, and failures to meet climate targets. My newsroom got nominated for a Michener thanks to my colleague's tireless work exposing sexual misconduct in the military. Okay, so I dug up her story on C-18. That's the online news law that regulates journalists, so a, a form of censorship for Trudeau's enemies like us who won't be accredited and subsidies for Trudeau's friends like her, uh, who will be accredited. Um, here's the story. Feds to force tech giants like Facebook, Google, to pay for news with new bill. Now, I really can't find anything challenging to the government about it. I read the whole story. And then way down in the story, Gilmore has the same complaint as before. She's worried that unregulated media like us will be able to get paid by this deal that the government's cooking up. So she's challenging Trudeau um, if burying a sentence halfway down an otherwise glowing news story can be called challenging. She's challenging Trudeau to crack down harder on journalists like us. She says, when pressed on whether the obligation to share profits with credible news organizations could lead these digital platforms to favor non-news content such as meme pages that can spread misinformation on their platforms. The senior officials said they start from the premise that digital platforms want to ensure the services they offer to Canadians are healthy, inclusive, 
and provide reliable information. So, whoa, you, you sure held Trudeau to account there, sister, by demanding that he crack down on freedom even more than he is. You really do speak truth to power. You, you're like Woodward and Bernstein. You keep taking on that Pierre Polyev. He's the threat. And you keep polishing Justin Trudeau's shoes. Maybe he'll notice you. Uh, so she said, I mean, her other points are a laugh, really. Residential school, residential schools being closed in Canada for generations. Um, Stephen Harper apologized for them more than a decade ago. He, there's been compensation. Um, how is a new story in 2022 demanding more wokeness from Trudeau challenging him? I'm sorry, that's not accountability journalism. Uh, how is a story demanding that he go even harder for global warming challenging him? I mean, it's, it's just, it, it's, there's nothing there. I wrote, obscure insider boutique policy items always from the left. That's not challenging Trudeau. That's enabling him. He likes that. We've had a two-year bonfire of civil liberties, foreign policy disasters, and we're in high inflation. And you chide him for not Trudeauing harder. That's the thing. If you ask, how did the media challenge the government over the last two years during the lockdowns, the pandemic? There is an answer. They did challenge the government to be worse to go harder against us, to be more vicious, to be more unfree. I suppose that's a kind of challenging, as in egging them on to do worse, ratting out people. In a healthy democracy, where the media wasn't owned or rented by the government, you might have had a journalist here or there um, ask questions about freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, shutting down churches, ordering people not to go outside there. You might have not to egg them on, not to ask the government to limit people. Question, you know, you you might have had real journalism, but telling the government to go harder ain't journalism. To be a snitch. I mean, how many news stories were there like this one, as it happens, also from Global News. Remember this one? Some residents of a North York neighborhood are upset a private school appears to be open despite province-wide lockdown. Yeshiva Yesterday Hatora says it closed except for junior high morning afternoon prayers. COVID-19 Toronto, Ontario lockdown. I remember that story. I remember that global news reporter was literally running around the school, running around the neighborhoods, hunting for Jews who were going to that Jewish school, which also, as, the, as she mentioned, is a synagogue. I'm sorry, that is not journalism. That's sort of secret police stuff. You're literally doing the government snitching. You're, if Global News were around in Holland in the 1940s, they would have been the ones saying, check in the attic, check in the attic. That's their challenging journalism. I don't know. It was fun to banter with a media party type for a while. Uh, I had other things to do. I got to work for a living. She really thinks that she challenges Trudeau. I really think in her mind, she believes she challenges Trudeau by egging him on to go harder. She really thinks that she helps the rest of us by telling us that the Great Reset isn't a thing. It's debunked. It's a conspiracy theory and that it's essential that she be that filter for Pierre Polyev 
on that issue and others. So we can get a clearer picture. Uh, I enjoyed the back and forth. My feelings aren't really hurt by her little tweaks. Uh, a few hours later, um, she came up with a line she wanted to say. She said, Ezra, I'm worried about your blood pressure. Uh, is there something that brings you joy, fresh air, bubble tea, a scribbling on a magazine, cutting of Trudeau? Uh, maybe find something that's kinder to your mental health than replying to my hours-old tweets uh, that don't even mention you. Well, I appreciate her concern for my health. Believe it or not, uh, my blood pressure's always been very good. And same with my cholesterol. I'm always pleasantly surprised when I hear that. Um, but I like the fact that she cares about me and makes me feel warmer towards her. Uh, Rebel News um, does bring me joy, but that's not the word I would choose for how I feel about Rebel News. I, it gives me satisfaction. I guess it's a kind of joy. It gives me a feeling of accomplishment. It gives me a feeling of worth, of meaning. Joy isn't really the feeling. I get that in other parts of my life. Um, it's the deep satisfaction of knowing that without a penny from the government, we have built up a media company that millions of Canadians and people around the world rely to tell them the other side of the story. Quite often by simply turning on our cameras and just showing the unfiltered world. And that by doing so, we give people an alternative to just flipping back and forth between CTV Global and CBC, all of which are indistinguishable from the other. And frankly, sparring with the odd media party reporter who still debates with me is fun. I mean, most of them just want to censor. Though it seems Gilmore sort of wants that too. <laughs> Stay with me for more. Well, I'm born and raised in Alberta, and I've always sort of considered myself an Albertan at heart, but I am unable to go back to my hometown unless I drive, which is just impractical. I can't take a train, and I can't fly. I have some hope that with the WestJet CEO talking about getting rid of the mandates and others in the tourism industry saying the same thing, that maybe the establishment is running out of patience with Justin Trudeau. But really, why would he care? He likes to show. He's boss. So I miss what's going on in Calgary. I haven't been out there in quite a while. But the good news is we've got a great battalion of rebels in Alberta and in Calgary in particular. And of course, there's a lot of news that goes on out there. Of course, the big trucker rebellion, the big convoy in January, February was on its way to Ottawa. But there were other trucker convoys and blockades in the country, too. There was one at the Windsor Bridge for a few days, at least. There was a very exciting one at the border between Alberta and the United States in the border town of Coots. As you probably remember, we had a few reporters embedded in that blockade, and we have released a documentary called Trucker Rebellion, the coot, the story of the coots blockade. And we have now had two premieres of this film in a real movie theater in Calgary. And joining us now to talk about how that went and other news from Calgary, like Justin Trudeau's visit there, is our friend Celine Glass from the Rebel Out West. Celine, great to see you again. Uh, Thanks for coming on the show. I want to talk about a few things. First, tell me what it was like at the film premiere. It was like a real film festival kind of thing, right? It, we, we had the movie and then the, the stars and the 
personalities behind the movie got up on stage and answered questions, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is the second uh, showing that we've actually had in Calgary. And uh, it was, there's a lot more people. Um, there's a lot more people that wanted to get involved by merch. And they're actually at, like actively asking if uh, they had any more room in the theater for people to come in and um, actually take a part of uh, the viewing and be a part of it. It's, it's a really big community in Calgary. And there's definitely a lot of uh, rebel supporters here. Yeah, I mean, the the theater holds 350 people. We've sold it out twice. It's in Canyon Meadows, which is in the southern part of the city. And I, I think we're going to see if we can get that movie running all the time, not just at sort of fun red carpet style meet and greet events, but just like regular go to the movie and like you would go to any other movie. I, I think people want to see it and they want to see the story told by our side, not by the government side. So that's great. Um, so you were at this red carpet event last night, but you scooched away quickly with some other rebels because as our trucker rebellion was underway in the theater, Justin Trudeau was landing in Calgary. He, he hates to do it. He does it very rarely. He usually just comes to town for a fundraiser, grab the cash and go because he hates Alberta and the feeling's sort of mutual. Tell me a little bit about what it was like when Trudeau touched down, and I understand you've got some video clips of, of some protests too. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, yeah, like you said, uh, Sydney and I, uh, we we left pretty early uh, into the premiere. We didn't. Even, I think the movie had just started, and then we we got that tip, and we literally left immediately uh, to go down there directly. And by the time we got there, it was it was a couple hours uh, to ten which is uh, the time that his plane was supposedly uh, touching down in Calgary. And there was already about 20 to 30 people stationed out there uh, protesting. I understand we got some footage, including someone who used a Lebrano's protest <laughs> sign. That makes me yeah. feel good. Let's take a look at that. Cool media, remember? <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. So what's happening? Is he not showing up? No. Nope. He's a coward. He's taking the back door. What would your message be if he were to show up? He's a pharmaceutical tyrant prostitute. Well, you know what? Uh, I think that is how a lot of Calgarians feel about him. Um, so how long were they there and did Trudeau come by? Where exactly was that? Yeah, so this was at uh, the Fairmont, downtown Calgary, and uh, he did not show up. Uh, at least we did not see him. Uh, we did check out um, the building. We went around a few times, and there are so many different access points. He could have used any number of those back doors, uh, and it's not surprising, obviously. It's not just the crowd that was there that deterred him. Um, I really think that he's a coward and that he's just not willing to, to face the music at this point. Um, the people were there until, like, I think 1 a.m., maybe a little bit longer. There was still a crowd by the time that we were rolling out. You know, uh, Justin Trudeau's security had come and gone. And, you know, all the staff that we talked to, all the police officers, just denied that there was literally anything happening at all, which is just steeped in, you know, in hypocrisy. And it's yeah. ridiculous. Well, you know what? I've stayed at that hotel before and in other hotels where there were protests outside. And I bet that Trudeau could hear those chants from inside. So could everyone else in the hotel, I'm sure. But you know what? It's it's funny because we haven't had a lot of democratic checks and balances on Trudeau. Normally you have a vigorous opposition. You have a 
oppositional media. You have courts that hold the government to account. Uh, you have uh, a lot of institutions serving to counter the prime minister and give ventilation to the views of the grassroots. But in the last two years, until Aaron O'Toole was given the boot, um, really there was no opposition to Trudeau and the lockdowns by none of the premiers either. The media was 100% on board. All the courts, all the colleges of physicians and surgeons silenced any dissident doctors. So I think part of the anger there, and there was some anger, there's some coarse language. Part of it's because for two years, there's been no way to speak back to Trudeau, especially when he does tyrannical things like invokes uh, former martial law. So I have a lot of sympathy for those folks. I understand you have one more clip from the protest. Is that right? We have Rebel News, Sidney Fizard here. What's going on? Well, uh, not much so far. Everybody's waiting for Trudeau. Uh, there's some speculation that he's going to use this entrance, that entrance. People don't actually know which way he's going to come from. Uh, we are hoping that he's going to be, of course, right front and center. Uh, that way, you know, these protesters can voice their concerns, of course. Uh, but if he doesn't show his face, well, I think that this goes to show that he is, in fact, a coward. <laughs> well, that was an update from our Sidney Fizard, Rebel News reporter. And we have the police here making sure that the door is open, the access is open, the secret service is in the middle, I believe. Um, we have a sign that says, authorities infringing on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms must be jailed. Hi. We have a construction worker walking around and uh, lots of protesters with flags. Now, I've seen it in Ottawa, where the Secret Service and the police would set up an access point and act like Trudeau is going to come here, but it would be actually a setup. They would actually get him sneaking from the um, back door. Are we going to see something like that here tonight? We don't know. We'll see. Me, Sidney Fizard, and Celine Gallus are here to cover it for you for Rebel News. Yeah, no chance uh, he would go in that front door. I, I know that building fairly well. There, there are so many uh, exits and entrances to it. For security reasons, it would be nuts for him to go in. Um, I, I heard our reporters say, Rebel News, Rebel News. I'm guessing that was because other media are as despised as Trudeau himself. And if we didn't identify ourselves as independent media, if people might have thought that we were government media like the CBC or bailout media, they might have been as hostile to us as they were to Trudeau. That's what I think. Yeah, there was actually, uh, there was one camera stationed uh, a couple blocks over to the left. Uh, and we don't know where they were uh, from or, or which uh, mainstream media outlet that they represented, but they stayed away from the crowd and they tried to film secretly, you know, for whatever reasons. I don't want to make any assumptions. Um, no fake news here or anything like that. But uh, the people in the crowd, the protesters were outing him and he was, you know, waving back and being belligerent, like on his own accord. I have um, a, a little clip that'll be uh, in the full report where uh, I was already kind of off to the side, uh, monitoring one of the, the back entrances, hoping to catch Trudeau uh, sneaking hmm. in. And um, and yeah, I, I videoed him. It was pretty funny. Well, I mean, I think Trudeau likes traveling to foreign countries because he doesn't have protesters in foreign countries. They don't know the truth about him, so they treat him like he's some sort of uh, dignitary. They don't know how undignified he is. 
Um, but even then, um, you know, he seems like a second rater. People like his, hey, look at my socks move doesn't really have the same, uh, it doesn't hit the same as it did in 2015. I think that he prefers those foreign travels just to get away from the fact that wherever he goes in Canada, people express their hate for him. And, I, I, and you know, some people say oh, we must crack down on shouting and swearing and this is terrible. I say it's a form of, it's like a safety valve. People have to be able to express themselves. And the more you bottle people up, like literally people were bottled up in their homes for a year. Uh, now they're being threatened with censorship. If you don't let people let off some steam peacefully and democratically, that's when you get into trouble with violence, which of course we do not want. Well, Selena, I appreciate you joining us today. And thanks for rushing out last night, leaving the uh, film premiere to go and record that. Um, uh, appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, no problem. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so uh, much for having me. It's my pleasure too. There you have it, Celine Glass from our Calgary office. Stay with us. Your letters to me. Yes. Hey, welcome back. Your letters to me. Yesi Trutamundos says Trudeau's speeches are always completely devoid of substance. In the end, basically nothing is said except for I'm doing it anyway. Yeah, I mean, remember, he is a thespian. He's an actor. Um, he was a drama teacher in school. And I, I would, there's a few of his speeches you can find on YouTube. They're hard to find. Of before he was an MP, he would go speak to teachers' unions or whatever, and it would just sort of be vacuous Hallmark card cliches strung one to the next, and lots of little feel-good buzzwords. And at the end of the speech, you say, what did I hear? Was there anything in there other than a guy just sort of parading back and forth and, and sort of middle-aged uh, female teachers cooing about how, how hunky he was? It, was? it was a pretty lame way for him to make a living at 30000 bucks a pop, most of it from public sector clients like teachers. Um, but remember, he is an actor, so he's a bit of a BSer. He can memorize a few lines, a few talking points, and he has. He's good at it. He's, he's good at projecting emotion like a good actor is. But there's not a lot of there there. I guess that gets back to what I was saying. I mean, do you really think Justin Trudeau could give a 10-minute speech on the history and meaning and uses of money without any notes, as Pierre Polyev did? It's unthinkable. I think we're going to have an excellent contest if... Pierre Polyev does win the Conservative Party selection. You're going to finally have a choice. In Andrew Scheer and Aaron O'Toole, you had two sort of square guys um, who tried to be cool kids in Ottawa. They tried to do what the CBC wanted. They tried to, okay, if I say I'm for global warming, will you accept me in the club? Hey, Rachel Gilmore, will you say I'm cool if I do exactly what you say? And the media party and the other parties accepted all the concessions, but of course they stabbed them in the back in the election. Of course they did. In Pierre Polyev, I'm hoping you have a contrast, a conservative who doesn't try and be a liberal, conservative who tries to be conservative, and gives people a real choice. I think it could work. G. Williamson 61 says, this is devastating to some seniors who have poured their life savings into their homes to finance a better retirement when they're ready to move to seniors' communities. You're talking about the proposal to have a tax on home equity. Oh, exactly. Listen, it's bad for everybody. It's bad for seniors who want to sell. It's bad for young people who want to buy. The only people who like it are the tax men. Jessica Abrams, referring to the home equity tax, says they will own everything. 
and they still won't be happy. Yeah, I mean, I keep thinking of that creepy, creepy motto, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. That's a World Economic Forum motto. It's so weird how if you agree with the Great Reset, if you agree with Build Back Better, if you agree with all their plans, then you're a good guy if you agree with them. If you disagree with them, then it's a conspiracy theory. It doesn't even exist. So you, you got to pick a lane. I mean, do they want to do these things or not? How you feel about it is the second question. But there's a very strong, I mean, it's that Rachel Gilmore thing. The Great Reset is a debunked conspiracy theory, unless you agree with it, in which case, no, it's fine. Yeah, I don't think we're getting a lot of clarity or a lot of depth from the media. They really are a perfect fit for Trudeau, aren't they? That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom. And let me leave you with a fun video from Avi Yamini, our Australia chief correspondent. He bumped into another influencer in Davos last week, and they've had a back and forth online. Here's Avi's latest chapter. I'll see you tomorrow. G'day, ladies and gentlemen. Avi Mini from Rebel News with my good mate, the real Rookshan. Buddy, are you jet lagged? Um, I'm almost getting over it. I'm almost, almost there. <laughs> well, we've had a hectic couple of weeks because we just got back from Davos covering the World Economic Forum, highlighting and exposing some of the elitist and biggest hypocrites of our planet. If you haven't seen the reports, they're all at wefreports.com. And in fact, we also have a long form mini doco coming over the next few days. But why, Rukshan, are we here today? Well, on that trip, one of the hypocrites we unraveled was Naz Daly. Naz, how you doing, mate? Good, mate. How are you? How are you? Tell us. Nice to meet you, everybody. Do you think, do you think it's cool that you're standing here and you're being employed? Like, you're getting paid by the World Economic Forum to, pr to promote their product? I'll tell you what's cool. This is the video. How are you guys? Give me, give me, give me. You know what's really cool? Is that all this was done for no money. You did it for free. For free, my so friend. you willing to sell yourself yeah, 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 yeah. for free? I'm selling myself for free well, because I have opinions but, but and I agree you, with those you, opinions. You push the climate change agenda, you pu push a lot of these, yeah. agendas, these work agendas. But here, what's but the current? Friend, what's we've the done more for climate change than you have. Yeah? What we've, have you done? We've done. How did you get here? We've done more for climate change than you have. How did you get here? How did you get here? See you later. Naz, Naz, how did you get here? How did you get here? How many in your entourage? How did you get here? What's your carbon footprint? Naz Daily. Man. I'm Israel. Hi. You eat meat? I eat meat. What's I your footprint? I but I'm not the one here. I'm not the one standing here pretending that I stand for all these How things. Are you, man? I'm doing good, brother. How are you? But you, you do, mate. You do. There you go. The biggest hypocrite on YouTube. As you just witnessed, Nas had every opportunity then and there to engage in the conversation and defend his hypocrisy. But instead, he ran away and waited a week to edit and cut out the most vital part that destroys his narrative. I'm not the one standing here pretending that I stand for all these How things. Are you, man? I'm doing good, brother. How are you? But you, you do, mate. Well, we're not going to play the whole five-minute video from Naz because it's just him promoting how great his company is at the climate change agenda and you know this is a guy that travels around the world to make one-minute videos all the time that's his entire stick right that's what he does but if you want you can check out his video on YouTube Facebook Instagram all the socials and get involved in the conversation yourself that's right and uh, here we'll cut down the most crucial bits Let's start. Last week, I got ambushed. I was walking down the street at the World Economic Forum in Switzerland. 
When one guy came to me with a microphone, I'm going to blur his face for his own good. Ambushed. <laughs> Why do they always act like victims when reporters literally walk up to them and ask them basic questions? And on top of that, don't you love it how he blurs out my face, blurs out your face, blurs out the, the branding of Rebel, saying he's doing it for our protection, even though we're the ones that posted it because we believe in what we stand for and we can defend ourselves in a conversation, unlike Nas. Let's be clear, the only reason why Nas Daily blurred all that out is because he doesn't want his millions of followers to find us, to search the video and to see what he cut out. That's why it's so important for you guys to share. He showed his true colors with his second question. You push the climate change agenda, you pu push a lot of these, yeah. agendas, these woke agendas, but here, what's but the current? We've done more for climate change than you have. Yeah? What we've, have you done? We've done. How did you get here? We've done more for climate change than you, you have. Basically, he asked if I am a hypocrite, if I am polluting the planet by flying to talk about climate change at a conference. How did you get here? Nice, nice. How did you get here? What's your carbon footprint? How did you get here? How many in your entourage? What's your carbon footprint? What's my carbon footprint? My friends, welcome to Guilt Activism. <laughs> Guilt Activism? The entire foundation of the climate change narrative that's shoved down our throats all the time by Naz Daly and some of his mates at the World Economic Forum is purely based on guilt, uh, guilting us to feel bad about what? About traveling? About flying? They want us to feel guilty about flying and eating meat while they tell us that we should own nothing, be happy and eat bugs. Did you see any of them there eating bugs? Any bug sandwiches today? I haven't had anything to eat no, today. I, Thank you. I so, actually haven't. I so? haven't. I haven't had anything to eat today. But if you got any recommendations. I don't know. I own nothing, so I'm happy. I think Naz actually dined with Bill Gates. I didn't see bugs on the menu. So why should we feel guilty about the things that we enjoy doing? Projection. Projection. But the same guy who asks about your carbon footprint. How'd you get here? What's your carbon footprint? Flew to the same conference from Australia with six different people on six different intercontinental flights. This is my personal favorite because yes, we did fly a team of six of us down, but our job there, our mission was to expose people like Naz. And I reckon we did a pretty good job of it. You decide, wefreports.com, check out all the stories there and you tell us. But we weren't there falling for his guilt activism. We never promote that side of thing. But Naz and his friends, they pretend to care about climate change while causing such a massive carbon footprint <laughs> for their event. That's right. And if they actually believed in all this bull that they're spitting out there to the public, why didn't they just do all this stuff on Zoom? Exactly. They've been telling us for two years now that we can just work from home and everything will be great. Why don't they just practice what they preach, work from home, have these meetings and not create this massive carbon footprint? But no. They ripped Davos in half for a one-week event. Yeah, it's, a, it's a fake city. They built Davos for a few days and they're going to rip it all down. And Ar when Avi made that one point, he cut it out. I'm not the one standing here pretending that I stand for all these oh, things. Man. Flying is responsible for 3% of greenhouse gas emissions. 
while eating meat is responsible for 15% of greenhouse gas emissions. And can you guess, does that guy eat meat? He does. Just hear it from me. How are you, man? I'm Israel. Hi. Do you eat meat? I eat meat. What's your footprint? <laughs> we love meat. And that photo that he shared of us, that's fantastic. That steak was brilliant. So he's trying to trip us out with guilt activism, but we love meat. We love it. And uh, we unblurred the photo. Why, why ruin it? It was a perfectly good photo. But let's play along. His maths is flawed. Flying is responsible for 3% of greenhouse gas emissions, while eating meat is responsible for 15%. But if you work it out, 80% of the planet eats meat. Only 11% fly planes. So per person, the emissions are far greater for the people flying planes. And then if you have somebody like Naz Daly, who probably flies a hundred times more than the average 11% who fly in the world, he is a hundred times, a thousand times more emissions from that man, Naz Daly, you than any carnival. It is by far the most sustainable conference I have been to. Every company there was working to save the planet. I don't know if Naz uh, truly believes that the people at the World Economic Forum are trying to save the planet. <laughs> I mean, he, surely he's not that naive, right? But the irony is, have an event with such a large uh, carbon footprint and then to justify it by saying that there's signs around here that uh, promote the climate agenda is just laughable. Look, Rukshan, I don't know if Naz is a bad person. He probably isn't. But he certainly sold out to the worst people on the planet and however he's justifying it is, like you say, it's laughable. He is a total hypocrite. He got that, Naz, you got that right. You are a total hypocrite. And if you really had any integrity, well, you would have stood there and talked to me instead of running away on the day and then later cutting it up, editing it, the most important part of it that destroyed your narrative, you would have left it in there. But he didn't. And that's why it's so important for you guys at home to get involved in the conversation and share the full clip everywhere. Don't let Naz get away with the lie because he has millions of followers. 